Have you ever watched a beaver build a dam? Swimming with one branch or rolling a single rock or carrying one armload of mud at a time? They're tenacious little creatures and completely unrelenting to the job at hand. You can tear out their efforts every day. Like say if they're building a dam that's going to flood a road or something like that. You could tear out what they do every day and every night they will rebuild what you tore out. The only way to stop them is to either go to live trap them and move them far away or you're going to kill them. People are kind of like that. They're always building to make things better. All the way to some imagined utopia that they believe will be the ultimate or the best. But there's danger in this. The danger is when reality is bypassed and a desire for improvement begins to fall into something else. It falls prey to wishful thinking. So, how do you tell the difference? Well, grab a coffee, pull up a seat by the fire, and let's talk. You have found the frequency of the Enemy Patrol podcast. Please stand by for new directions. Over. Okay, welcome to the Fire of the Enemy Patrol. I am the Anomic Ranger, your very own reality scout. As your scout, I give you information that you can use to move ahead in this adventure called life. And since you are the general in this campaign, it's you that has to make the ultimate decisions. Your humble scout just gives you the lay of the land, and you can either use these little reports... Or don't. I just tell you what I see. If you want to know more, you can subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast so that you don't miss a report of the Enemy Patrol. You can also take a look at my website. You can find me at anomicranger.com. Anomic is spelled A-N-O-M-I-C. Ranger, all one word, anomicranger.com. If you want to send me an email, you can do so on the contact portion of my website, or you can send me an email direct to animepatrolhq at yahoo.com. Anime is spelled A-N-O-M-I-E, and then of course patrol and hq at yahoo.com. And if you like what I write and what I podcast, well, give me a good rating wherever you listen to it you can subscribe you can send me comments but the most important thing is share with somebody you know share with a friend share with somebody that you think maybe could use some of these little talks that uh, we have around the fire here at the enemy patrol all right so this is season one episode six and 
I've labeled season one, the title I've used is Scouting the Decline. And I break these up into three parts, veneration of the normal man, the lies in our society, and some practical steps to increase your personal agency. Something that'll help you maybe think a little more independently, or at least think differently. Today in Veneration of the Normal Man, we're going to be talking about wishful thinking. And you pretty much have an idea what that's going to be about from my little introduction. The lie of the day is going to dovetail in nicely to that. The lie is emotions are equal to or greater than truth. And then, of course, as time allows, some practical steps. All right. So let's move right along. Throw another stick on the fire and away we go. Okay, so before I get into wishful thinking, it's normal for people to desire to make things better, to change things, just like that beaver. Beavers build dams. People like to change things too. And you have to keep in mind that to be normal, one has to be stable. And to be stable, one has to be wise. Now I could, you know, Quote from the Bible, it talks about a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He's tossed on the sea like a wave in the wind. But we're going to move past that and just maybe talk a little bit more about this beaver building a dam and people's desire to improve. You can see this pretty easily when you look at, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but say you're going out for a hike in the woods and You've got your overnight bag and the idea is you're going to hike out somewhere peaceful, somewhere nice, maybe someplace by stream. You could do a little fishing and you're scouting for a campsite. You find a good site. You come in, you take your pack off. And the first thing you do is start trying to improve it. And I mean, that could be as simple as snapping off a branch on the bottom of a spruce tree so that you can hang your pack on it out of the rain. Instead of just throwing it in the dirt or throwing it in the leaves, you want to hang it up. Right away there, that's your first improvement. you got a branch stub to hang your pack on. And the longer people stay in a camp, the more they keep improving it. So pretty soon you got windbreaks and shelters and fire reflectors. Go down to the stream, move some stones away, make a little holes so you can dip water easier, and it just on and on and on. The longer you're there, the more you keep improving your camp. So you can just scale that all the way up looking at society until you get to the point of where, you know, people are laying foundations to build giant cathedrals when these cathedrals take 300 years to build. And each person that's laying those first bricks, they know that they're going to spend the rest of their life laying bricks and not, they won't see the end of it. Their kids won't see, their grandkids won't see. It'd be like if their great, great grandkids see what it actually looks like finished but they're going to spend their life laying those bricks because they had a desire to make something beyond themselves, an improvement. And you, if you look throughout society, this drive toward, I call it a utopia, a perfection, 
Maybe it's driving back to the Garden of Eden. I don't know. Always wanting to make things better. Always believing that there's somewhere better. I mean, lots of names. Arcadia, the Promised Land, Shangri-La. Mankind is always trying to make things better. And it all starts in the imagination. And it all takes a lot of work. Even setting up a camp takes a lot of work. It's much easier to change a physical environment than it is to change people. And that's the other thing that seems that people like to change is other people. Up to and including changing themselves. You see something that you don't like about yourself or you don't like about a group of people and so you want to change it. Now some of that is maybe there's, well, I know there is, there's people out there that are just busybodies and they just want to change people because it makes them feel powerful. But for the most part, people are always trying to improve their group or themselves. And, you know, changing a physical environment is just work. And once you change it, like once you move those rocks out of the stream so you can dip water or you lay bricks, well, it pretty much stays changed for the most part. I mean, there is such a thing as decay. You can build a house and eventually it's going to fall down. But for the most part, it stays changed. Improving people, even ourselves, now that's a totally different story. But it all, just like working in the physical, it starts with a vision. How you think it should be. Now with other people, I'll add this in there, you have to convince other people to change. You have to create the desire within them to make themselves better. You have to impart the vision. You have to provide the tools and encourage people to change. And of course, if you're, you know, a family person and you have children, that's an ongoing task. That's all the time, every day, as long as their eyes are open. That's what you're working toward. And as people have found out through history, even though it's been tried over and over, force doesn't work. You can try and change people by force and you will get some outward, I guess you'd call it, uh, uh, results. But it's very hard to change people on the inside through force. And this is reason number 6,421 or something like that. Why collectivism ultimately fails. That's why, you know, your communism, Nazism, all that stuff begins to fall apart is because force is a second rate way to get people to change. Because you don't change the inside, you only change the outside. Now, what about desiring to change ourselves or desiring to change our position in life? Again, it starts with a vision. How you think it should be, how you want it to be. And from there, you have two choices. So you have this vision, you have this idea of, let's, we're talking about changing ourselves. So maybe you're not satisfied. You're completely dissatisfied with the way that you are and you just really wish you could be different. So say you really like to play the guitar. So you want to learn how to play the guitar. Well, the way you do it is you have to plan it out and set yourself some goals and then you have to work at it. And then you have to evaluate how you're doing and keep going, keep making plans, keep setting goals and keep working at it. Now, if you start in and it looks like playing the guitar is just too dang hard to learn, 
it's too much work and you're evaluating, you decide maybe you don't really want to know how to play the guitar. Well, then you have to learn to be content with the way things are. That's your two choices. And that's how it works within the constraints of reality. And all of this up till now, whether we're talking about changing the physical or changing other people, it's all dealing in the realm of reality. And it's all about vision and planning and hard work. So this begins to change now when we go outside of this very simple thing that I've laid out, very simple constraints that I've put in place about doing change and making change. And it's where we start to move from positive vision and we get into dangerous fantasy. As up till now, of course, like I said, it all starts with basically dissatisfaction. You don't like the status quo. You don't like the way things are. You don't like your position in life. And from there, it's supposed to move then to a desire for change. The danger is if it just keeps hanging around this dissatisfaction with the way things are, that can lead to problems. If the desire for change leads to, you know, that planning and goal setting and hard work that I talked about, and stays within the boundaries of reality, which is your time and your resources and your fairness with others and different things like that. These are, I'll call them the limitations of the reality. Then it comes from a humble and righteous angle. If, however, this need or this want or this desire, or this dissatisfaction sticks at being just dissatisfied, then it can lead to wishful thinking only. Dissatisfaction with the status quo can then lead you, if you're stuck in this wishful thinking, it can lead to the suspension of reality. And that's where a lot of trouble begins to start. Because you see, the first motivation says, well, I could do better. And the second one, the naked dissatisfaction just says, I hate the way things are. And it leads to this wishful thinking. Now, if you take this wishful thinking and this, I hate the way things are, and you couple this with maybe some other bad traits, like how about laziness or covetousness? Let's go back to our guitar example. If you're too lazy to practice, if you're too lazy to learn the fingering, and you really look at people who can play the guitar and, oh man, it just kind of eats at you. Well, and that leads to things like bitterness and prejudice. And then, of course, if you mix in a sense of entitlement, well, why should he be able to play the guitar when I can't? Then this wishful thinking leads to a, a belief that the world, reality itself, should change to alleviate your dissatisfaction. This is what's causing such insanity in our culture today. You know, there's a good, a good analogy about this, and I'm going to use it very cautiously, is this whole concept of fat shaming. You know, this is a pretty new thing, this, this new idea. I mean, this idea that, that some people are too fat and need to lose a few pounds has been around for 
well, as long as we've had a lot of food, basically. And in a place of the world where people eat too much or eat the wrong things, and so some people are fat. And in the past, people like that that were overweight, it's like, hey, why don't you lose a few pounds? Hey, why, why are you eating candy? You should be eating carrots or something. And that was a, well, if a person is overweight, and I mean, I, I can talk about this because I have had this problem, if you want to call it that, or this tendency all my life. I've always been, there's only been a few times in my life when I've been thin. I think up until the time I was about 10 years old, I was really thin. And then from there, I started to get what they called husky. And then the weight has went on and off several times in my life. Lots of times, depending on the jobs that I've had or what I was doing, how much I was walking basically, or how hard I was working weights went up and down but it's it's never I've never been on the thin side as long pretty much as long as I can remember so I understand what this is about but in the past people would be what they called fat shamed in other words hey why don't you lose a few pounds or hey you're overweight and now our society is walking down this road of wishful thinking and wanting something to alleviate the dissatisfaction with being fat other than applying yourself and other than using some self-discipline to well either work harder or eat less or both so they've started into this thing you know what beautiful at any size and and it's everybody is just picking on me and i am big and fat and beautiful and on and on and on and you know they can play this game and they can convince themselves and they can put these pictures of these really, mostly it's women. I've never seen a magazine with a really fat man on it saying, oh, he's gorgeous. What a hunk. It's usually women. And I don't know why. I think it's because maybe women are easier to lie to. I don't know. But it, in our culture, there's nobody making excuses for fat men. They seem to just make excuses for fat women. And this is leading to basically people, these women are saying, well, I don't have to worry about applying myself. I don't have to worry about losing weight. I can just be, you know, beautiful for how I am. And that doesn't change the reality of the situation. It's not going to change when your knees wear out. It's not going to change when you're, when you start to go diabetic. It's not going to change having a fatty liver it's not going to change being out of breath and in reality it's not really going to change to how other people look at you when you're so overweight that you can't tie your own shoes it just doesn't work that way unfortunately you cannot change reality you can't throw a tantrum and change the way things really are and you're never really even if you could fool everybody even if everybody was forced to just chant the mantra that it doesn't really matter how heavy you are the reality of the situation is still there the bad health is still there so why is there so much wishful thinking in our society why is that there now there's lots of different reasons 
looking at it from what I can see, there's uh, about five or six reasons. Let's go through them. One of them is uh, we have a fantasy media in this day and age. And I think it's been around there a long time. I mean, movies and novels. I mean, you look at a romance novel. I mean, that's, that's total fantasy. Um, for men, you know, there's porn. That's a total fantasy. It has nothing, no bearing on reality whatsoever. How about advertising? And, and this is the one they fight against, against this fight, fat shaming thing. It's like, if you have a thin model and they're advertising a diet plan, well, that was actually... They had that in, uh, I think it was in England. There was an advertising campaign campaign about getting your beach body ready. And it had a picture of a woman in a bikini, slim, of course. Because they're not going to, you know, sell a diet plan or anything like that, showing a fat woman in a bikini. So it was a thin woman and they made them take it down. But I think another new one that's in society that to, and it, not just about looks, but all this different way of wishful thinking that, that leads to trouble is social media. And the reason that social media is so bad is people only show the best of what they have. They're only going to take a picture of their meal when they're eating out at a nice place and it's a fancy plate, or they've made it themselves and they've put a lot of work into it. They're, they're never going to show, or not very often are they going to show, you know, macaroni and cheese and boiled hot dogs unless they spruce it up and make it look good or they're trying to make a point of some kind. But for the most part, the rest of social media, people snap pictures of themselves when they're in exotic places or they're with exotic people or they're having a whale of a good time or just greatness. But if you scroll through people's, I don't know what they even call them, their page or their line or whatever you want to call it, you're only going to see the best. So you scroll through half a dozen people, what they're doing, and you're not doing anything. You're sitting on the couch looking at a screen. You're begin, going to begin to feel like your life isn't very good and you just, you're going to be dissatisfied and you're going to wish it was better. Another reason is, I guess I'll call it reason number two, is jealousy, covetousness. Other people have things that you want, and I, I could go back to the social media and the being covetous. But you know, there's a reason this covetousness is, is so rampant. It's because it's not pointed out anymore as a bad thing. It's not looked at as a sin. In fact, covetousness is the root of socialism, of collectivism. I mean, that's really what it's about, is people are upset about the millionaires and the billionaires, got to knock those guys down because, well, if everybody doesn't have a million dollars, then nobody should have a million dollars. And so this covetousness is, it's actually encouraged. And jealousy is not looked at as a bad thing. So it begins to take root and it begins to grow in people, begins to grow in their minds. Reason number three is this society has a really spoiled sense of entitlement. I mean, the, how long has it been now since they, nobody wins at games anymore and everybody gets a participation trophy and nobody's supposed to be looked at as, you know, one's doing better than the other. Competition is evil. Well, that begins to make people, it gives people a sense of entitlement. 
And you know, it wasn't very long ago that, that wishful thinking was frowned upon. Let me give you a, a little story about this, and it's rather earthy, or at least it uses one earthy word. And this was, um, this was a little saying that uh, my grandfather gave to my mother when she was a child, and he was a farmer. And the word that I'm going to use, well, he shoveled a lot of it, so nobody in those days thought it was a, necessarily a swear word. It was used all the time. So you can imagine what the word is. So if this is really going to bother you, you can just skip past this, or if, if you're worried that it's going to somehow damage your child, well, then put your hand over his ears or whatever. But this is the saying that gets rid of wishful thinking. When you had a child as saying, oh, I wish I didn't have to work today. I wish I had more money. I wish I had this. I wish I'd never been born. I wish, I wish, I wish. Well, my grandfather turned to my mother and said, I tell you what, you shit in one hand and you wish in the other one. See which one fills up first. That'll definitely take the wind out of the wishful sails. All right, reason number four. The teaching of the equality of outcome. Now, you might say this is, goes part and parcel with the, with the uh, sense of entitlement and the covetousness, but equality of outcome is something that is being pushed a lot now. In other words, instead of looking, does everybody have an equal starting place in the race? They want to make sure that everybody goes over the finish line exactly the same. And this, again, leads to this wishful thinking and this, this, I shouldn't have to work at it and everybody should have the same and everybody should be the same. And last, well, not last, because I said six, but six is going to move us into the lie of the day. But So number five, looking to blame somebody for problems. So you don't like reality, you don't like the way things are, you wish it was different. Whose fault is that? So yeah, you add all this stuff up, you put all this stuff, you mix it around, you pour it out. And what you end up with is people that in the end are fighting reality. You got people that are overweight and really for their own health need to lose some weight. And they're being told, oh, you're beautiful just the way you are. No, you're not. You're unhealthy just the way you are. So when people start using fantasy to fight reality, it leads to insanity. That's it. Insanity. So, and last but not least, number six is going to lead us into the next section here. Lies found in society and the lie of the day. Okay, the lie of the day. And the lie of the day is emotions are equal to or greater than the truth. Now, when I originally wrote notes on this, uh, to do this little talk around the fire here, I didn't have the greater part. I just had emotions are equal to truth. 
And then when I started to finalize my notes and do a little research into this, I found that it actually it had grown beyond just emotions or equal to truth. It had grown to the point of where some people are starting to call this the post-truth society. And I didn't dig really deep into this because it just, I, I, I have a hard time digging into nonsense. That is such nonsense, post-truth society. That sounds like a definition of hell. But anyway, I thought I would at least add the greater than the truth because that's where they're taking it. It's no longer that emotions are equal to truth, but that emotions maybe even be greater than the truth. And this lie has been growing for generations now. But it's very prominent in the millennials. This feelings over facts, cry bullies, you know, you, you say something and they don't agree with it. And rather than, you know, come up with different arguments for it or, or to, you know, change their position or move their position, they just burst into tears as if that changes anything. It's like truth becomes irrelevant if your feelings don't match what the truth is. And if you look at it, it does dovetail back up into what we were talking about in wishful thinking. It's like, it just, it doesn't work. And if we want to go back to where this started or where it began to get a foothold, well, here now we're back to the good old boomers. And it was them that planted this particular seed. And uh, if you want to hear more about boomers and talking a little bit about boomers and what motivated them and where they come from and what formed them, you can go back and listen to my episode number five. And how that started with the boomers was this idea of to get in touch with your feelings. And this crap they touted as wholesome and pure and above reproach. Now, if you want to ask yourself, why, why were they so intent on getting touch with feelings and, and um, how would you put it, shining a big light on feelings over, over facts or reality? Well, and again, I talked about it in episode five. It was the, the parents of the boomers were the greatest generation for the most part. And they were very stoic and they were very tough. And they had to get through hard things and a bunch of people whining about their feelings was just not acceptable. You just, you can't get through depressions and wars and well, I guess in today, pandemics. You have to be a little more stoic and you have to be a little more tough and you have to try and look at the positive of things and work within the constraints of reality to get through it. But no, no, no. The boomers that was getting in touch with your feelings, man. Like, just if we could all just do that, we could all just love each other. Yeah, that works right up until you take it to its end and then you end up in this wishful thinking and this fighting against reality and this all the other things that go along with it. And you know, it was the, it's kind of funny, the, the, um, I talked about a little bit, if you want to go back to, I think it was episode three, I talked about the greatest generation, which were, they had a little bit more of a, 
I guess, a religious background, and they fought a lot of this, this emotions um, and truth. They come down to a really simple, and I'm sure you've heard it. It's, it's been put on coasters and posters and you name it. And it's a serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So all of this is put to rest if you just think about that. In the end, if you really boil it down, emotions have almost nothing to do with truth. Absolutely nothing. At best, your emotions are a hint. They, they point you maybe in a direction that you need to dig into and search and find the truth and adjust your thinking. You know, a lot of people say, well, I just, if that didn't feel right, or that just doesn't sound right to me, or that isn't, that's an emotional response. Okay, so then that needs to lead you into a little bit of work and digging into something and learning what the truth is as best you can. Because, you know, in the end, feelings are very fickle. They're controlled by our conditioning and our environment. I mean, think of all the things that can lead to, it can change our emotions. How about our upbringing, how we were raised? What about our prejudices? What about our mood or our health? I mean, how is your emotions when you have a toothache? What's your mood like? Do you think you can trust your feelings when you're angry at somebody? What about when you're uncomfortable or you're comfortable? I mean, you've just had a meal, you're sitting on the couch, everything's good. Your feelings are a certain way. You add some something uncomfortable, a little hungry, and, well, almost everything can change our feelings, change our emotions. They're driven like dust in front of the wind. But truth never changes. The reality of things don't change even if you disagree. And it doesn't matter how heartily you disagree or how much it makes your feelings hurt. It doesn't matter. Reality is always there. Truth is always there. So people who hold emotions in higher regard than truth, what are some of the traits that they have? What are, what are some of the things? Well, one of them is they are very easily manipulated. And you can really see this when something bad is happening in the world and the media is just whipping everybody into a fear frenzy. The emotions run high. All the, everything written about what's going on is emotional. Anybody that talks on television is emotional and they just, they can just bend people and make people do things. People that are run on their emotions and their feelings are very easily manipulated. Don't ever forget that. And if you have a culture that puts emotion ahead of reality, there's a, a thing that comes out of it. That culture will equate disagreement with hatred. So if you disagree with somebody, well, then there, well, you're, you're a hater. You, you hate people. Even if, you know, you're just saying, no, that's not right. Well, then that, that, that means you hate the person that has the different opinion. And that's not true. And it goes with the same regard that just because you agree with somebody doesn't mean you love them. So the 
this emotional part is even begins to mix in and and ruin the words hatred and love and the difference between them. So in the end, the polarization of that culture becomes inevitable because people are not going to agree with one another. And if they can't discuss it out and find the reality of the situation, if it's all just about feelings, then everybody just divides into different camps and points fingers at the other camp and says, you're haters. You don't like us. Well, that culture will eventually split apart. Feelings are found within ourselves. They're found right in the circumference of your own head or maybe in the circle around your own heart, depending on, you know, how you want to look at it. But reality and looking for truth transcends that selfishness. Reality and truth come from something higher, something bigger. And if everybody can agree on that higher and bigger, then they can get along and they can work together. So these are all things to think about because you can take this all the way back to what I talked about at the beginning, how generations laying bricks to build a giant cathedral, working for posterity, working into the future, was a society that definitely agreed on things, agreed that that was an important work. But even just working on yourself and deciding how you want yourself to change you need to work in that reality into that otherwise you're never going to get at you're never going to get anywhere so yeah we find ourselves here now at the end of the lie of the day emotions do not equal to and they're definitely not big, greater than the truth in the end the truth is all that's going to matter so if you want to change yourself, that's where you have to go from, not from emotion, but from truth. So let's move right along here into some, maybe some practical steps to help you on this path. How do we train our mind away from emotion and start looking toward reality? Well, maybe something practical will help. Okay, in this section here, talking about training our mind away from emotion and practical steps, I got a little bit of a little bit of a preamble here to do on this around the fire of the enemy patrol. In episodes one through five, I gave a standard lecture, talked about weaning off screens, getting away from your phone, getting away from your computer, getting yourself out of the matrix, about finding some nature, some reality, get out and see the sky, look at a stream or a lake get some exercise while you're doing it go for a walk lift something heavy and i decided that i didn't want to keep doing this over and over and over i get sick of saying it and i'm sure you get sick of hearing it 
but weaning yourself off screens is important. I can't stress how important that is. Give yourself a couple hours a day, one day a week. Do both if you can when you're away from your stuff. Get away from your screens, away from your social media. Get some exercise, find some nature to look at. And I realize that <laughs> I could streamline this with one little sentence. And it, um, if you go look on my, on my blog, which is on the website of anomicranger.com, if you go take a look at that, I wrote an article in there. Um, what was it called? It was called uh, Old Men New. That's what it was called. And in it, I talked about things that kids used to hear from the old men when they were younger. And there was one of them, and it went along the lines of something like this. And that's when kids were sitting in front of the television too long. And you got to remember, this was back in the day when, you know, we had two channels, and one of them was French. And the my grandfather would come in and see us, us kids sitting around watching the television. It was probably something completely insipid, which television usually is. And he'd say, hey, turn off that boob tube. Get outside and do something. You're never going to learn anything sitting there looking at that. Get outside and get the stink blowed off you. And he goes on like this. The country's going to be full of people with wide, soft butts and even softer heads. So, yeah, I realized that my little rant at the beginning was pretty much in line with that. So I'm going to streamline it down and I'll give that little line at the beginning and then the other thing i was doing and i think i in episode i gave little practical things you could do including listing things that you could do you know your skills or whatever um listing things you were thankful for just little mental exercises like that and uh in episode five and i just i have to mention this one because i had a shopping exercise and it went something like this. Give yourself, if, wait till the grocery store is busy. Give yourself 15 to 20 minutes to shop for three days worth of food and then take it home and live on it for three days. And I didn't mention anything about toilet paper. And this was in my notes. And then when I actually recorded it, it was right at the beginning of this, it was in beginning of this um, Chinese virus thing and people were rushing to the store and buying all the toilet paper and all that stuff. I don't know what that's going to look like in a few years if we'll look back on that and shake our heads or... But anyway, I won't, I won't go any deeper in that. But I, I don't know. That was almost prophetic because when I wrote the notes, there was nothing like that. This was just something that I wanted people to do to make them realize that, you know, just because there's a grocery store there and everything is there when you go in there doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. And to get the idea that, you know, you might need to have three days worth of stuff around it's not a bad idea and just just the concept just just expanding your mind to the concept well obviously i i don't have to do that we're living with that reality at the moment so i don't know if i was prophetic or what but anyway and then in episode number four and i actually for this one i had i was going to talk about something to do with um learning self-discipline by um um, skipping some meals, learning to skip meals, maybe even a whole day of meals. Of course, I was going to have to insert all the standards, see your doctor, blah, 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 to all that. But, you know, um, 
going without food is not going to kill you and it does build some self-discipline but i'm not going to do that because in it Part of the reason that I do these practical steps, besides to, you know, give you some things to think about and some little things to do to make you more independent or help you think a little differently, get a little more personal agency, is, well, it's it's kind of a, it's a time thing. I just have a whole bunch of things listed in my notes. And so if I run on long in one of these, then I I can expand or contract the these practical steps and in episode four when i recorded episode four i kind of ran out of time so i'm going to go back to some of the steps to becoming an individual and i'm going to go through those so i've got nine steps to becoming more of an individual and i got four steps to build character so let's get into this Nine steps to become an individual. Number one, and these, this one I mentioned in episode four, stop caring what other people think. And I said, you know, it's harder for the young people because the younger you are, the more concerned you are with what your peers think, what your friends think, what other people think. But start now, even if you're young, to realize that actually most people aren't thinking about you at all. They're thinking about themselves. And it, don't let that form your life, what other people think. I mean, you kind of have to stay aware of what other people are doing, but hey, if you can wean yourself off worrying about what other people think, you'll be better off. Yeah, number two, I had stopped following bad role models. And this one in our societies, I don't know. I don't even know if there are any good role models. I look at movie stars and musicians and and uh, I don't keep up on all the social media stars. I have never watched PewDiePie or I have no idea if he's a good role model or a bad role model but for the most part look for if you want to look for a role model look for somebody that's close to you in your life somebody that you know personally not somebody you see on a screen and then look at their life have they done good things are they accomplishing things then you can use them as a role model be much better if you can't do that well then i would go historically and look for good role models because i think you'll find a lot more good role models in past history than you do in our modern society number three stop searching for a societal center now this one's hard to explain Uh, there's an old saying you know there's no brass ring there's no brass ring to eternal satisfaction there's no one place that you're going to go or one group that you're going to be with or something that you're going to own or an education that you're going to get where there now you've made it now you will feel satisfied it doesn't exist quit looking for it If you want to look for something that's going to give you more satisfaction, you're going to have to look for something a lot higher than an education or an item or a social group. A lot higher. You're going to have to transcend way above yourself. Number four, learn to think for yourself. And learning to think for yourself is interesting because you can start right now and learn to think for yourself. It just means you don't just automatically take somebody else's opinions about things. But it also means that maybe you need to go back and reevaluate your opinions on things that you just, you've always held. You've always held that opinion. And go back and look at why you always held that opinion. Whose point of view are you riffing off of? So that'll take some effort. And that brings us to number five put some effort into thinking and evaluating. You know, the biggest fish are caught in the deepest water. That's another old saying for you. 
So if you're going to get something big and you're going to work at it, you're going to have to think deeper. You can't just think about something for a minute and a half and form an opinion. It's, you need to put some thought into it, put some effort into thinking about it. Number six, stop blaming other people for the condition in your life. If you're dissatisfied with the way your life is and you wish it was different, and there we are with the wish, well, then stop blaming other people. Stop blaming your parents. Stop blaming society. Stop blaming and start looking at yourself and thinking about what you need to do to make things better. What, like I said before, plan it, set some goals, and work at it. Number seven, work at becoming independent. And that's not just physically independent. That's socially independent, emotionally independent. Start relying on yourself. Don't look to other people in order to gain some kind of emotional satisfaction. You got to find it within yourself or way above yourself, not a social group or a friend or a spouse. Number eight, stop searching for identity. You know, this is something that I see, especially in later years here, people talking about identity. Well, I don't know my identity. Or societies like, well, we don't have an identity. You know what? Work for things that are good. Work for things that are honorable. Put yourself out there to make things better and your identity will find you. Searching for identity and then trying to fit yourself into it is a fool's game. And number nine, the last one, is learn to be thankful. And I can't stress that one enough. I know it's a little cliche in this day and age, all this whole gratitude thing. I even wrote, um, I don't know if it's out yet, but I wrote it already. It'll be coming on my blog or it's on my blog about um, gratitude, the attitude of gratitude. And that one is actually really important for changing your thought processes. More important than you think it is. It's not, it's, it's not cliche. If you want to change even chemically in your brain how things work, and I go into that a little bit in the article, learning to be thankful is very important. All right. So there's the nine steps to becoming an individual. Stop caring what other people think. Stop following bad role models. Stop searching for a social center. Learn to think for yourself. Put effort into thinking and evaluating things. Stop blaming other people. Work at becoming independent. Stop searching for identity. And learn to be thankful. All right. Well, if you want to get even deeper into that one, if you want to, those are some actual steps that you can follow. But what about... What about your actual character? What are four steps to help build character? Well, here's some of the things you can start thinking about. Number one, prudence. Now, what is prudence? It's an old word. We don't use that one very much. They talk about something, well, that would be very prudent. Or he has a lot of prudence. Well, prudence, or being prudent, is the ability to judge a course of action based on an individual situation. In other words, there is no fit-all. There is no one rule that you can apply to be prudent. It's that ability to look at a situation, look at a course of action that needs to be taken, and it's based on the situation that you're in. That's prudence. 
Number two is courage. Stand up for your convictions against the crowd. Again, I talked about don't follow the crowd. Learn to be more independent. Believe in truth. Don't believe in yourself. You know, I've seen this one around. It's like, you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in yourself. No, no, don't believe in yourself. Yourself can fail. Believe in what's right. Believe in truth. Then if you're scared, if yourself is scared, well, you'll do it anyway. If you believe enough in the reality and in the truth, you'll do it anyway. Number three, temperance. Here's another word that hardly anybody uses anymore. And it's usually associated with not drinking because of the temperance movement. But really temperance can be applied to more than just not drinking your face off. Temperance is just restraint and self-control. So you can be temperate about your screen time. Practice temperance. You can be temperate about eating. Don't eat yourself into an early grave. Self-control and restraint. And number four is justice. Now, this one's used a lot, of course, when talking about law courts and things like that. But justice really is about fairness and righteousness. So there's your four things, prudence, courage, temperance, and justice. Now, if you're one of those people that uh, uh, reads a lot or talks a lot with people who talk about these kind of things, you're going to recognize these. These are the four cardinal virtues. Now, some might say, well, that ranger, he's getting all religious here. Well, no, actually, Plato used these as well. And what cardinal means is that which everything else revolves on, or that's I, th- I believe it has something to do with the hinge. The hinge on the door was the was the cardinal, I believe. So these four virtues, if you can practice these and learn these, they are the hinge that all this other stuff can start to turn on. So I find myself here at the end. I hope you have enjoyed this time around the fire of the enemy patrol. I hope this helps you. Like I said, if it helps you and you want to read more, you can find me at anomicranger.com. You can send me an email at enemypatrolhq at yahoo.com. And enemy is spelled A-N-O-M-I-E. Don't forget to subscribe. Give me some stars or likes or reviews, opinions, questions. And don't forget, till we meet again, keep an edge on your knife, keep your matches dry, because life is a one-time adventure. So learn to live it that way. Vea con Dios, eh? <laughs>